1: Go to trustark.com slash Nimity dash free dash trial.
0: You're listening to Serious Privacy by Trustark. Please welcome our hosts, Paul Breitbarth and Kay Royal.
1: 47 episodes and as many guests, two recorded webinars, and over 25,000 downloads. Today we conclude season one of Serious Privacy, and we start with a big thank you to all of you, our listeners. Even though our initial ideas for this podcast were a little different at the outset, we have found our groove and very much enjoy making our weekly episodes. This week, we invite you to join us at our Christmas table to look back at 2020. We'll discuss the year that was, play you some of our favorite moments from the conversations on serious Privacy, and also look ahead at 2021. My name is Paul Breitbart.
0: And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So, Paul, I know we're going to dive right into our favorite episodes or quotes or topics or what went right or wrong with our first season, which I'm really looking forward to. But I do have our unexpected question. Of course. Let's have it. What famous living person would you like to meet for drinks?
1: Well, the obvious choice would probably be Barack Obama because I'm just reading the autobiography. And um, inspired by the man.
0: And I want to meet his wife. So we could go with that or call those the default answers and go to what living person would you like to meet for drinks? Because I have my answer there.
1: Well, right now I would want to meet you for drinks.
0: (laughs) That's my answer. I would love to be able to get in person with you and just have a drink, have some bitter balls, have some Southern divinity, whatever.
1: Absolutely. And a very big cocktail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, maybe two of them. And anyone who knows me knows I'm not a big drinker, but Lord, yes, let's have a few of them.
1: Well, let's hope with all the vaccines <laughs> oh that goodness. next year we'll be able to have at least a few drinks, some face-to-face conversations.
0: Yes, from your mouth to God's ears. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's start with you. What it, What's the first looking back on our season of 2020, which when we started, we didn't know we were going to do seasons, but it seems like it's natural since we launched on data protection privacy day in 2020 that we start season two pretty much the same day going forward from here on out and have seasons. So I love this idea. Exactly. So if you look back on our first season, what's What stands out to you?
1: Well, I listened to quite a few of our episodes in recent weeks to find some of the episodes that I like best and to find some clips to play to our listeners. And I also listened to our pilot episode. And I don't know when you've last listened to our pilot, but it's actually pretty funny to listen to it and hear the audio quality. We've improved a little bit since. We're not there yet, but we've improved. (laughs) And just hear (laughs) our conversation. And it it was pretty much fun. So that's where I want to start with with our very initial idea of our plans, what it is that we wanted to do.
0: And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure we explained some of this in the first episode, but we had a history with this because last year, Hillary and I did a webinar and I was invited to do it at like the day before. And it turned out that I was in San Francisco. And so I literally just walked in her office and she and I sat at a table and we did a webinar. It was fantastic. We got so many comments from people that she and I were like, you know what? We're going to launch a uh, podcast for Trust And although people agreed in theory, apparently no one really agreed in practice because it <laughs> never happened. And then fast forward literally a c- few months and we acquired Nimity. And I met you, was it in...
1: Maybe that was the reason why it didn't happen. Nobody had time to consider the podcast.
0: It was fate. Exactly. It was fate. I I remember telling Chris that he's going to have to have a buzzer. That way, when everyone asks me what I really think about a topic, they could buzz me (laughs) out. (laughs) And just be, Kay, what do you really think? Well, I think... And Chris, our CEO, just died laughing. He's like, Kay, we are not going to buzz you out. And slightly off topic, but I will tell people when you find a job in a career where the people accept you, and I would say love you, but I'm not quite sure everyone at Trust TrustArk loves me, <laughs> but people accept you for who you are. And not only that, they enjoy it. They go with your crazy ideas, or at least they don't tell you you're crazy. Or if they do, you know, they're saying it out of, you know, tolerance, if not love go with it work with it you know there's the old saying that people leave people not companies and people stay with people not companies well this company is made up of the people and it makes it completely worthwhile but back on topic
1: so yeah you had the conversation with hillary
0: i think back over that we acquired nimity and you visited in january it had to have been january and we talked about launching the podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: The first week, the very first yeah. week.
0: And you and I just hit it off like two houses on fire.
1: Absolutely. I had the conversation with Hilary actually in December because this was just after the acquisition and I was in Toronto for the annual Nimity Christmas party and the management meetings that we had and also had time to sit down with Hillary, who would become my new manager, my new boss. and. At the end of the conversation about what do you do and who are you and and all the, the 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 things that you discuss in one of those first conversations, she said, "Is there anything that you would like to do where there never was time or budget at Nimity to do it?"
0: I love Hillary like that. I said, "Well,
1: if you ask me honestly, the one thing that I've always always wanted to do, but but indeed we just didn't have the time to get it done, is to start a privacy podcast because I think this is the right time and I think we have." the people and the knowledge to get this done. And she said, well, that's interesting because I just had a similar conversation with somebody on my team who wants to start a podcast as well. So that's how we ended up sitting together in January. And here we are a year later and 25,000 downloads later.
0: It's funny because she was probably thinking, and the two of you could not be more different. (laughs) (laughs) And we agree. Or
1: more complimentary. That's probably the way. Exactly, yin
0: and yang. However, I'm not going to say which one of us is good and which one of us is bad. But I think it's fantastic the way our personalities work off. And I met you and I remember me saying, well, how about we launch it on Global Data Privacy Day in like three weeks? And you said, oh, no, there's no.
1: And I immediately corrected you. There's (laughs) no
0: way of getting this podcast ready to go with an episode in three weeks. How about we plan on. Pi Day in March because our team is Privacy Intelligence, so PI Pi. So we thought about that, and then I think Data Privacy Day was like on a Monday or a Tuesday.
1: I think it was a Tuesday.
0: And on Thursday, yeah, on Thursday, our marketing company department contacted us, said, "You know what? We don't have anything really big, splashy planned for Data Privacy Day. Why don't y'all two launch your podcast?" (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we did.
1: Yeah. If you don't start on if you don't start next week on data protection day, you're not gonna start at all.
0: Exactly. So see, next time I give you three weeks to prepare, go with it, darling. Go with it. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. Okay, so So
1: let's listen how it all started. Let's do
0: that. I'm actually thinking that it would make perfect sense if we helped all the privacy professionals out there and people who want to be privacy professionals by creating our own podcast.
1: You mean just giving them some basics, explaining what it is that that brought us into privacy and explaining some of the core issues privacy professionals are, are, are challenged with around the world?
0: Absolutely. Give them something for serious privacy
2: focus.
1: Oh, I like that. I like that. And while we're at it, then maybe we can also release some of those conference sessions that that only occur once and that nobody ever hears again. and, and, And that a lot of people miss if they haven't been able to attend the conference or because there were seven other interesting sessions at the same time in the same track.
0: And the same thing for webinars. If they can't get on the computer and watch a webinar, maybe they could listen to it.
1: Okay, so so what about guests? Do you want to have guests on a webinar on on, on the podcast? I think
0: we almost have to have guests, but I don't want it to go like an interview format. I would actually love it if we could just get some good privacy on and just have a conversation. I call it a back porch conversation.
1: Yeah, that would be a kitchen table conversation here in Europe. <laughs> Bad porches are not always a good idea with the cold up north.
0: <laughs> I don't do cold. So I'm thinking this sounds like we have a wonderful idea and a wonderful premise. I say we go for it.
1: And we're back. <laughs> okay. So, Kay, what is, when you look back at the year, what is the topic that, would, that you would consider to be a red thread throughout the year?
0: You know, to me, the one that keeps coming back, there's two of them. The one, the first one that comes to mind to me is social justice. That seems to have popped up uh-huh. time after time after time again, no matter which person we were talking to or which topic we had or speaker or what the actual thing was. <laughs> I can't even think how many times we called Travis LeBlanc's name in vain. But also the name that Mm -hmm. popped up all the time was Alistair McTaggart because of CCPA. And dude, I still want you on my show. And the other one that comes up, (laughs) and I think this is one that comes up for you as well, is how welcoming and diverse privacy is for all different types of individuals young, older, experienced, inexperienced, transitioning from other pro- professions, male, female, no matter where you are in the world, it's just such a welcoming and open career field. So those are the two that stand out to me, social justice and privacy as a career.
1: Yeah, absolutely and and privacy as a career and the welcoming community is something that I look back on quite fondly. I again in the pilot Hillary told us about how, her first steps in privacy, but We have had many of those conversations. We had Vivian Arts from Refinitiv very early on. We had Emerald DeLeo who uh, joined us. We had Lily from the LA County who joined us and told us about her career, especially in times of COVID. We had Tom Bezor who, who just switched all his career from being a regular lawyer to becoming a privacy lawyer and passing all of the IAPP tests as a COVID project because he had time on his hands. And... Privacy as a career is is really something where we have had a lot of conversations. And I think that's also part of what we intended at the outset to showcase some of the maybe less familiar faces in privacy, but also the, the, the more familiar ones, and let them tell their story about why they ended up in privacy, why it is important, and what their contribution to the community at large would be.
0: Right. I agree. And some of these people, I just knew their names. I had never met them in person, and I absolutely fell in love with them. Emerald being one of the ones top on my list that I absolutely did. And then some others, I guess I've met them in passing, but haven't really had the opportunity to sit down and have one of these unscripted conversations with them. And it was really fascinating to see their personalities come out. And I'll say one that really surprised me was Pedro Pavon. He mm-hmm. he surprised me. I've I've met. Then we're
1: back to social justice.
0: Yes, of course. And but just his, you listen to him speak on webinars. You meet him in person, and I mean, of course, you get that that sense of that personality and the intelligence. But on the podcast, he really just came through. The screen, the sound, the airwaves, whatever you want to call it. So I'd like to tee up just a little bit of what he said that stood out to me as one of my favorite spots. So here we go. Just because you can
3: do things doesn't mean you should. And that's a lesson Silicon Valley <laughs> has to learn. OK, like, you know, there's lots of things we've been able to do for a long time that we don't do because they're dangerous or harmful or, 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 or you know, would create Chaos. And so the same applies to Silicon Valley and technology. You know, you might come up with a really cool idea and a really cool use case for personal information that maybe solves one problem, but it is too intrusive or it leverages data that is too sensitive and it shouldn't be allowed. And you know, every society and every country has to decide what those parameters are for themselves. You know, this idea that there's going to be a global standard, no, there isn't for anything. I mean, like, You know, the drinking age is not universal. People drink at different ages. They vote at different ages. You know, you get your driver's license at different stages in life. You get it taken away in some places. You pay taxes differently depending on where you live. And so, you know, we're going to have to decide for ourselves what privacy means. And that's not going to be one clean, finite, easy to understand global standard. So I think we just have to get used to the mishmash because that's how it's going to be. The way they think about privacy in India is different than in Europe and different in the United States. And in, within the United States, it's different in California than it is in Missouri. That's just the reality.
0: <laughs> Isn't that Pedro?
1: Yeah, that was wonderful. <laughs> and let me back that up with a fragment from, Ella, uh, from Emerald.
4: Yes. I think that you can only grow if you're doing more than your current role as is. So do your absolute best where you are. I think that is really important advice. And um, don't feel like you're... Too good for a certain job. Like everybody has to do the junior bits. Like, even though I was the CEO of my own business, I had, I always used to joke, I was the chief everything officer because I had to do everything for the business. Like all the boring stuff, all the stuff I didn't want to do. And you just need to accept that, be humble about it, absolutely. And always kind of exceed your current job because once you start exceeding what your job description is, people will see that and they will promote you. Um, if they have any sense, if they don't, maybe stick it out for another couple of months and shop around, <laughs> that would be the next <laughs> next piece of advice. Um, but generally people see it if they're really, really good, right? So do the best where you are. And then the next thing I would say, which might be counterintuitive, but have a voice, start speaking about what you think. Because one right. of the great things about being just out of college is that your knowledge is still so fresh. Um, the thing that is your competitive advantage with other people in privacy is that a lot of privacy people are very, very busy with their full-time jobs. I know that I experienced that. My job takes up so much of my time and so much of my energy Absolutely. that I don't really find as much time to read interesting papers and, you know, the luxury work you get to do when you're still studying. Um You can go out into the world and write things, you know, you can publish your articles on Medium or on LinkedIn and get involved in discussions, even on Twitter and stuff like that. Like I know loads of people in privacy because I met them on Twitter first. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure this is true for you as well, Paul. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs)
1: It's a great source of information.
4: Yeah. And you end up like you feel you know these people. Um, even though you haven't even met in person and then you meet in person and you're like, yeah, I feel
0: like, you know, let's go for a drink.
4: We've known each other for years.
0: And that is so Emerald. That is just one of 5,000 reasons I fell in love with her and she and I have stayed in touch since then. I feel like our Twitter (laughs) conversations are just fantastic when we had our election in the US and everything was dragging on. She actually reached out to me on Twitter and was like, given how much the rest of the world is watching and what we're thinking, how does it feel in the US? And at that time, Arizona wasn't even one of the big, you know, controversial states at the time.
1: Well, you know that you came through in the end. So thank you for that on behalf of the world.
0: Yes, you're welcome. So back to our, 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 what living person would you like to meet let's sit down with kamala mm-hmm. harris i mean president vice president-elect i sh- I should be more formal with her but i just feel like vice we're...
1: president-elect harris that yes has also a nice ring to it
0: it really does and she and i are meant to be friends so you know just you know kamala i'm speaking
1: well let's start with getting her on the podcast at some point <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. Let's do that. Okay. We'll
1: put in a request. Once IAPP, IAPP is back in DC, we'll put in a request to have a conversation with
0: her. Absolutely. Let's do that. Who knows? Maybe she listens to us. You never know. She doesn't have anything else to be doing right now. Okay.
1: Nah, not really.
0: <laughs> what What's your next one? What else stands out to you?
1: Well, for me, one of the topics that still fascinates me, and I, I don't even know why it why it hit me so hard, but that is the episode we had on on Sharenting with Maria Hoy and Alexa Fox, two academics who did the paper on parents sharing the the pictures and the information of their children on social media, uh, especially in online competitions and somehow when once I read the paper and once we spoke to them, that issue came back all throughout the year, whether yeah. there were new Twitter competitions or new media reports and it struck me. It really struck me, and I'm I I, I don't even have children, so I, I, I'm not sure why. But that is an episode I, I vividly remember as as being one of the first ones where I thought, "Wow, this is this is something special that we're doing."
0: Yeah, and do you have a clip teed up for them of of a oh, particular place? Let's listen to that. Let's
1: start with with charenting itself, because it might be a term that not everybody is already familiar with friend haven't seen it a lot in the papers yet. Well, in your paper, obviously, but not in the, the, the regular newspapers. And in, in the paper that you've written, you give a near legal definition of sharenting, the habitual use of social media to share news and images of one's children. But for the non-lawyers who are listening to this, what, what exactly do you understand, should we understand when you talk about sharenting?
2: Well, I think sharing ting is really this idea of you know, people have been sharing photos, information about their children for years, just not on the internet. You know, there's opportunities to share, even just looking at, Information with a family member, you know, having a photo album and sharing a photo album. For years, this has been a practice that we've done, or maybe you would share information about, you know, how a child's doing in a certain area, maybe even share some information about what's going on at school, grades, something along these lines. But the idea of sharenting has really kind of come about where this practice has now been enabled by the internet to be available to a broader audience. And sometimes we're not necessarily just having a one on one conversation, we might be sharing that information with lots of people all at once. And sometimes those people who are receiving that information, we may not necessarily even realize exactly who they are. It might be an unintended audience, so to speak. So I think this idea of parents sharing information about their children, and that information can range in a variety of formats from Personally identifiable information. We'll talk about that a little bit more. I think as we as we kind of progress and unpack the article, but it could be photos, it could be name, it could be a birthday, it could be all any kind of information that the parents are sharing on behalf of their children on the internet. And in the context we're taking a look at is through social media. See,
0: that's why that's why we like that episode. And you're right, it. It's not that they were before their time. It was the perfect time. We should have had this information earlier, but earlier wouldn't have had the information. It's just perfect. It's such a profound statement on data gathering in in the current era.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I would love to speak to more academics doing these kind of visionary papers. In the, right. in the next season. And I know we've got a few already lined up from the IEEE conference there where we did our first live session. So there were yes. quite a few papers there that we can follow up on once they are written because many of those were still in draft. But yeah, I, I do believe that some more academics would be welcome on the program to have those bigger, bigger and broader ideas also as part of the conversation.
0: Right. Agreed. And some of the new ideas, some of them are rehashing older ideas with a new take. And some of them, it's completely new problems with perhaps some proven solutions for them. So I'm looking forward to that as well. What else you got? I, I can tell you that from my side, when we were talking about the best of 2020, what stood out to me more was the scope of the topics that we covered. But also the people that we had on it and the personalities,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, Absolutely. because some people just have this larger-than-life personality, but when you got them on the podcast, it's almost like someone freezing on stage. We had to work to draw a personality out of them, knowing that it was there and they had the knowledge, but getting, it, getting them to present it in a way that was enticing when you're only listening to audio. Was a struggle. But we have sometimes.
1: more on the other side where we the do. personality was just there.
0: <laughs> some of them I had to edit out, some of the personality. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not add the clip back in of one of the statements that Michelle Denity made about her refrigerators being big and dumb, <laughs> rather than smart refrigerators, just, just to throw that out there. Uh, I debated it over and over and over again because... It was hilarious. But yeah, some of them were... I guess I really am conservative, Paul. <laughs> wow. Well,
1: at least for the <laughs> podcast, we need to be careful. We have a broad audience.
0: We do. We do have a broad audience. So so what else stands out to you then? Give me some more of your well, favorites. Well,
1: you know, there was this tiny little thing that happened on the 16th of July.
0: Oh, that little thing. I think I vaguely recall it.
1: <laughs> and the um, for those of you who don't immediately recall the date that was the Shramps II decision of the Court of Justice of the European Union, and that led to two of our most rushed episodes ever. Well, ever, of course, because it was the first year, but two very rushed episodes. I recall on the evening of the sixteenth we recorded and released an episode with Sophie Initveld MEP and with Gabriella Zanfir. And Gabriella joined us again just a couple of weeks ago when the European Commission and the European Data Protection Board suddenly came through with all their guidance and the new standard contractual clauses in the follow-up of Schrems 2. So also then we were able to release an episode overnight. And both were very spontaneous conversations with no time to prepare. No. Even though we are unscripted, we usually do prepare a little bit for these episodes, but for those, there was just no time prepares let's be honest rush (laughs) (laughs) just the rush of the of the urgency to get these episodes out to our listeners was was also a lot of fun
0: oh absolutely and i think we really did deliver hot off the presses on a couple of occasions uh when it came to this so it was it was really really good and in the middle of it we also changed logos
1: yes absolutely because Trustark changed logos
0: (laughs) It did change the look and the feel, got rid of that bright neon green that everybody seems to have copied us from and put in a really cool, blue, smooth, calming kind of take on our website. <laughs> However, our logo not necessarily modeled that. And I'll tell you, the guy that designed our logo, if you see our new logo, it's bright pink and it's blue and S and P are on the difference on the opposite sides of it. It's like a video, not a video chat cloud, uh, a sound chat cloud, like the little bubble you would see above cartoons talking. And it has the podcast mic in the middle, but he gave me the pink for the serious part. And he gave you the blue for the P for the Paul part. So I thought that was just awesome. It just seems (laughs) to represent the different takes we have on opposite sides of the world as well. Absolutely. I just love it. I love it.
1: It it certainly does. And with this logo, we'll go into the new year. And maybe we are finally able to go back to some conferences and trade shows and also finally able to get some merch out there uh, to get some stickers and and maybe some mugs or other things with the Serious Privacy logo on it.
0: Something with, I got serious with privacy or I'm serious about privacy, something like that. But. I will say that the episode- We take your
1: privacy seriously.
0: We take your privacy seriously. That's right. Privacy seriously. The one quote that stands out to me from all of our sessions was the one with Jared, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Cosilia, who had to teach me how to say his name. But he also made a comment in there that became the title of the post that there were no divas in privacy. And you and I both Absolutely. almost fell out of our chairs laughing. <laughs> <laughs> that and was I my still do because quote. I still
1: believe that he is wrong and that there are many divas in privacy. <laughs> oh, I so won't sorry. name them. I'll stay polite. But I think <laughs> you and I could both come up with a list and our listeners can come up with a list. And if we compare them, then I'm sure there will be some overlap.
0: Absolutely, and I believe Paul and I both muted, so it really does us no good to to play the clip for you because you can't really hear or see us falling out of our chairs. But it did. But we were there, absolutely. It did show the scope of the privacy jobs expanding. I just had a conversation with a registered nurse who wants to move into a different field, and she had reached out to me about legal nurse consulting. And, of course, my response back to her is, have you thought about privacy? Because I was a nurse. Because that that's moved what I privacy. did. Exactly. <laughs> and she's like, well, I need something that's going to challenge me. And I'm like, oh well, then stay away from privacy because there's nothing challenging Don't worry, about darling. this. <laughs> this will challenge you, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. Okay, yours next. What you got? So,
1: when looking ahead, when looking, when looking ahead, what is what is the main thing you are excited about for twenty twenty twenty? What is the main thing you are excited about for twenty twenty one? And you are not allowed to say the presidential inauguration. <laughs>
0: Which was, you know, minus two days ago, a month from now. So not that I'm tracking days and times and hours at all. But I'm looking forward to, well, one, the possibility. So I'll try to stay away from the politics, as you said, no no presidential. But the possibility of everything in privacy moving forward faster because there's people that get it. In office. So that is one. But I would say for our podcast, what I'm really excited about is being able to further develop how it is we run the podcast. We've developed some rules and some FAQs for speakers. We've gotten into some good patterns that we have of pre posting teaser pictures, doing the little video sound that come out. We've tried some different formats, turning webinars into podcasts. I think we tried twice. It bombed miserably. So I think I'm looking forward most. Not the best idea. Yeah. I think I'm looking forward to most is perfect, not perfecting, but enhancing how it is we deliver our podcast because people seem to like it. And I don't want to lose what makes it special, but I want to, I want to grow it and I want to make it better.
1: Well, that sounds like a perfect plan, but what about on the the policy side?
0: Ah, You're going to ask me what exactly do I want to talk about. Okay, I want to talk about HIPAA, because HIPAA actually has some changes proposed, and there are some laws in the U.S. around HIPAA, which nobody gives a crud about except for those people working in HIPAA. I want to talk about more of how security integrates in with privacy, and Mm -hmm. I want to talk about social justice.
1: Well, that's always a good topic. (laughs) I want to talk more about e-privacy and the whole online privacy discussion with still an e-privacy regulation in Europe on the horizon, but also cookie laws changing all around the world and cookie tracking technologies changing, companies becoming more vocal in what they can and cannot do, DPAs becoming more vocal with them looking at transparency and consent frameworks, but also at individual companies and how they deal with cookies on their websites and with the notices that come along with it. That's one topic I really want to dive into for next year. The global developments. There are so many countries that we haven't really discussed yet. I want to talk more about Latin America. I want to talk more about Asia, about what is happening there, because there is a lot happening in, in those regions as well. Hopefully we will be able to do some live recordings in in September at the Global Privacy Assembly in Mexico City if it can finally take place, which would be that a would good be awesome. place to have lots of lots of face to face conversations indeed. And of course we should continue the conversation about Europe versus the United States and the prospect of US federal privacy laws.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I want to get some enforcement in there. We don't talk a lot about enforcement or about events such as big breaches that happen and how those are impacting people and what made the the breach stand out in particular. And we're starting to see more and that goes right into the global development of laws. It goes a lot into the notice and transparency. One of the I put together, I just did a webinar with someone a few weeks ago, and forgive me, my weeks are running together right now on the CPRA and the CCPA and what to look forward to. And it was more of a chat of look back over 2020. But one of the things was enforcement. And one of the Mm -hmm. items that I pulled up is that there have been some enforcement actions against individuals in Europe. And the two examples that I pulled. One was someone that received a relatively low fine of 100 euros. It might have been British, so it might not have been euros. But anyway, a relatively low fine because they had shown license plates in images online. So it's a fine against Mm -hmm. an individual not. And the other one was a soccer coach that had filmed students showering without their permission. That one was a relatively hefty fine. So I think talking about enforcement action around the world is also going to be pretty interesting and what makes it interesting. Not that you and I, either one, like to use enforcement as a scare tactic, but enforcement helps educate companies what they should be doing and what standards they should be looking at. Oh, absolutely. For me, enforcement
1: is all about the lessons learned and not so much about the fine or the enforcement action itself. but About the underlying report, and indeed, what lessons can you draw from that? Yes, we can absolutely do more of that. So, yeah, those are our topics for 2021. And I'm really looking forward to hear what our listeners want to hear more about. Yes. Because in the end, we make this podcast not for ourselves, but for you. So, what are the topics that would really interest you, any specific guests that you would like us to invite? We can always try. We will try. We don't know whether we get. The agreement or not, but we're happy to invite anybody you would, would wish to hear from. And indeed, if you have any questions or suggestions, especially if you have suggestions for guests or would like to be a guest on season two, please do reach out to us via seriousprivacy at trustarc.com or via Twitter at, at podcastprivacy. You will find Kay on Twitter as Heart of Privacy and myself as your old Paul B. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Season 1 of Serious Privacy and to this Season 1 finale.
0: And we will be taking a break.
1: Yeah, we will take a break until Data Privacy Day, (laughs)
0: Data Data Protection Protection Day. Day
1: 2021. The week of January 28th, we'll be back with a very exciting first guest. She has been confirmed already. Um, So uh, we'll be sure to have that guest on the books for you around Data Protection Day 2021. Right. For now. Wait a minute. Don't say bye yet. Thank you for listening to us this entire season. Don't say
0: bye yet, because before I get off, the last thing I have to say is cosplayers Privacy people are geeks, some of us cosplay. (laughs) I wasn't going to talk about it during the main show, but I have to at least mention it before we let it go. Now you can say. Okay,
1: we'll do another cosplay episode next year.
0: (laughs) Maybe in person.
1: Privacy cosplayers also feel free to reach out. We'll do another cosplay episode.
0: Exactly. Paul. bring us to a close
1: so for now let us all wish you happy holidays and we look forward to speak to you again in the new year bye for now
0: bye y'all that was serious privacy
1: Hey, listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further.
0: Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI.
1: TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost effectively.
0: And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software.
1: Because their deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting.
0: TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that. Helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance privacy, and security.
1: Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework.
0: If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central. Seriously, one of my best parts.